0: Circle, yes we rotate. Three hundred and sixty degrees, ha ha. Three hundred and sixty degrees, ha ha. Three hundred and six, three hundred and six, three hundred and sixty degrees, ha ha. Hey, good evening, everyone. You are listening to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. And this week on Full Circle, we dive into politics some national, some local politics of East Contra Costa County and the city of Antioch. On tonight's show, we'll hear an interview with Antioch City Councilwoman Tamisha Torres-Walker, fresh out of her recount victory. We'll also hear from an advocate for the unhoused, Nicole Gardner, of Facing Homelessness in Antioch. She'll speak on the city government of Antioch and the Antioch police and the treatment of the unhoused community. And we'll hear from apprentice Pamela P as she speaks with a couple young folks who voted for the first time in the 2022 midterms. All that tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Freewell and Franklin. I'm coming to you from downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. Yes, Again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Freewell and Franklin, and I will be your host tonight. And tonight we will be talking some politics, and now that the midterms are over, we can see that the young voters and first-time voters made a big difference. According to a report from the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement, The 2022 midterms had the second-highest youth turnout in three decades, and the youth vote was key in battleground states. First up tonight, Pamela P. brings us this conversation with two first-time voters.
1: The November 22 elections and the previous presidential election took a very positive turn due to young voters I was fortunate to be able to interview two 18-year-old new voters last November and find out their thoughts and issues that are important to young people. It was reassuring to know that the young people are taking the torch and carrying it. I'm Pamela Lyons. I'm an apprentice in the first voice apprenticeship program with KPFA 94.1 FM Berkeley California.
2: So hi I'm Sean Crabtree. I'm currently a freshman college student attending Los Rios Community College up in Sacramento. Uh, I lived in the Bay Area since I was a little kid um, but recently moved away and I hope to move back at some point um, but that's me. My name is Ryan Falla.
3: I am a freshman college student over at Berklee College of Music in Boston. I also grew up in the Bay Area, but I also live in Boston as well. I'm 18 years old.
1: Okay, thanks. So I understand that you two are first time voters last November. You Mm -hmm. just turned 18 and you voted for the first time. So my first question is, how did it feel to be voting?
3: Well, in my personal experience, I I did the mail-in voting, so I mean it was it was a little hard to kind of grasp the gravity of all because you are just checking boxes and putting a letter in the mail. I don't know seeing kind of the different propositions and the different problems I could put my voice into. It did feel it did it did feel nice to kind of take a look at what's really going on, and to kind of have my own voice in it and my own opinion kind of
2: thrown into the ring a little bit Um, I'd say so I've I've been really into politics since I was like 16 years old like a sophomore in in high school Um, specifically you know like uh, with the BLM riots in 2020 and that entire election cycle like that really got me kind of into like oh you know what's happening on a federal level what's happening on a state level what's happening like locally and all that kind of stuff and uh, over the years, as it progressed, I was like, OK, kind of got more into like the local scene of like, um, you know, like the Socialist Party down in San and Somo doing like rent control and all those kinds of protests and like rallying against, uh, you know, the different city councils for that kind of stuff, um, as well as like the local like elections with um, the education board and trying to get like Latino uh, voices uh, up on the board. And all that kind of stuff, and really paying attention to that. So when it came to vote, um, I was well informed, which a lot of my peers probably weren't, um, because you know it was kind of like my fascination. That was like my thing for a while. So um, you know, having that power to actually kind of put your voice in was uh, really important for me. Um, and I feel like you know I always encourage other people to vote as well. Um, and really make their voice heard and especially those local elections, because not a lot of people vote in those, especially, you know, people who are um, of our age and uh, are just a little bit older, the younger generation, they don't tend to vote um, specifically because there's not a lot of that age group in Marin, um, but also because they feel like that their voice doesn't matter and they feel like that it's kind of pointless for them to even uh, put something on the ballot and so being a first-time voter and actually you know seeing that my vote kind of did count uh in a lot of those places and especially you know your voice on social media and things like that uh being able to genuinely make an impact surprising to say because of how many people were skeptical about it um and yeah i i felt i felt really empowered to be able to actually be like oh hey like you know this is a part of our system, and like we can actually do something here. We can actually utilize that tool.
1: What were the most important issues <clears throat> for both of you?
3: I'd say the one I was most in tune with was one that was the most relevant in terms of the times, which was the abortion rights and Roe v. Wade kind of thing. I remember exactly what the proposition was that I voted for there but it was something related to that and just kind of putting my putting my vote into something that had been relevant and circulating and so recent it it was it did it did feel like a change from just kind of like sitting back and letting the adults talk about everything
2: mm-hmm. i would i would personally say um probably you know the menfall vote of continuing the ban on flavored nicotine products Um, specifically because there are a lot of my friends that are addicted to nicotine, vaping in general, um, uh, including, you know, like uh, flavored products and that kind of thing. Um, And so California instituted the ban, I think, in 2016 in their vote uh, to ban flavored products. And they voted again to continue that ban. And um, a lot of the people that I talked to, especially the more politically informed, were just like, oh, you know, like I I personally like, you know, want flavored nicotine products because of the freedom that comes with it that kind of like libertarian view that is very kind of californian right the libertarian democrats what they call it and um my view on it is like hey like you know government is here for a reason right government is us it's not just some other institution it's that we run the government like and we should be running the government that should be what we should be voting for and I think there's a lot of issues with that. I think like on a federal level, um, there's a lot of corporate interests and things like that. But in the state of California, it seems pretty clear cut in a lot of our candidates that, you know, they don't take corporate interests. They're, they're pretty grassroots. And especially in Marin County, that's a big, big thing. Um, and so that menthol vote um, was definitely the one that I was looking most forward to seeing the result of because I wanted to see where everybody else's head out was, uh, was at in the state's Uh, or in our state. And, uh, you know, they continued the ban, which um, I happily agree with. The
1: new young voters are sort of saving the day. And I have high hopes that that's the case. So what issues do you think are most important for forward thinking, to to give advice to anybody who's running for office or anybody that's a doubtful about whether their vote counts what what issues do you think are the most important
3: I think the one thing I would say is that there are definitely topics going on right now that people should be involved in but like for forward thinking and for like for the future and especially for people looking to run for office I think just getting in the habit of reading the news staying in tune on current events and kind of taking interest in not only federal but especially local politics would
2: be a very smart choice for young voters Um, if we're talking on a national level i i, I think it would be things like marijuana and climate change are very very popular amongst our generation recreationally uh, a lot of our generation uses marijuana um, and i think that's something that they really want to see marketized and uh, be taxed upon So that we can be making money off of it Um, and uh, through tax dollars and actually, you know, contributing to uh, funds for young people to stop getting addicted to these things, you know, uh, a lot of the funds um, that come from these kind of uh, taxes on like say like gambling or alcohol or cigarettes. Um, A lot of that tax, especially in the state of California, goes back into rehab programs and goes back into programs that are trying to prevent teens from getting addicted in the first place. And I think that's something that we're we're really uh, striving to do because so many of us are addicted to those kinds of things. And uh, so many of us are looking for the future generations to not be addicted to those things, because it would be very nice to see in America where people don't have to smoke a cigarette every day or they don't have to roll a joint at the end of the night to go to sleep. I think that climate change is huge, obviously. Um, It's not going to affect us in our lifetime to the point of uh, total, you know, wiping out. But it is going to affect, you know, uh, we've already hit 100 degree summers in Marin. That was never a thing. That was never a thing. And, and now we're going to go up to 110, probably by the time that, you know, me and Ryan are at the end of our lives, like it'll probably be up to 120, 130 if we don't do anything about it. And that's ridiculous. Nobody wants to be living in that world where Marin was supposed to be this perfect, you know, weather kind of climate. And now it's you can't even walk outside on like 90 percent of the days in summer. I, I, I think those are the two most important issues. If we're talking locally in Marin um, for young people, if you want my vote, I would say rent control and housing um, because I can't afford to live there. So many people can't afford to live there. So many young people cannot afford to live there at all. And Marin is an epicenter of culture. It's an epicenter of innovation. It's an epicenter of so many different things. Music, art, just so many things come out of Marin. You know, so many bands like you know, Journey, right? Journey came out of San Francisco. And there's just so many things there that young people would love to contribute to. But so many of them can't because they just can't afford to be there. Mm-hmm. And so if you really, you know, want the young vote, make it affordable for us to live there. Maybe that's raising the minimum wage. Maybe that's lowering housing prices, right? Maybe that's in, in uh, introducing a rent control like they just did in San Anselmo. Any of those types of things would guarantee my vote because I want to move back there. I love the hiking. I love the culture. I love everything about Marin, but I just cannot afford it. There's no, there, there, there's, there's no way I can make it there. I think I saw on next door, like a, a post and somebody was like, yeah, you know, like I I'm making uh $18 an hour. Like, how would I be able to live in Marin? And somebody was like, you can't like, if you really want to even try, you have to be making $33 an hour. And that's if you're working five days a week, eight hours every single day for 50 weeks out of the year. And that's insane. That's crazy. That's crazy.
1: Do either of you have any final thoughts you'd like to share to give us old geezers encouragement and hope? Because I've been doing this a lot of years. Things aren't to where I thought they were going to be. 60s, I thought, oh, this will all be covered and over with by now. Give me your encouraging thoughts.
3: I do feel like as the generations go on, the young demographic get more and more... um, politically active as as they get more and more radical because we've seen um, we've seen through like the 20th century, um, like, or just in all of history, young generations, um, it's it's a trend for young generations to um, to be rebellious, to be radical and strive for forward movement and, um, and progress. And that is def- that definitely applies to this generation because from personal experience, I know so many people my age who are into politics, who are like talking about it a lot, who are very knowledgeable, like Sean, for example. And it's the kind of, it's the kind of people like that who give me faith in my generation to be able to tackle whatever problems come up so as the generations move on we are not exempt from history
2: we're, we're only as strong as our weakest link right like that's a very very common saying and i think it's very very true i think that uh marin in a lot of ways is a role model um in progressive kind of thinking uh we definitely have our issues uh especially with the you know like um uh our our race issues with separating you know white people and colored people within the county um but i feel like there are a lot of things uh in marin that are you know progressive thinking uh climate uh solar energy uh, all those kinds of things right but when i think about it um and we're looking at like you know uh rural states for example um they're still moving forward uh and you know they may be our weakest links in terms of uh, progressive thoughts and ideologies and uh moving the ball forward Um, But they're getting there. Uh, We can see it with marijuana. We can see it with same sex marriage. We can see it with um, so many different things. And sure, we're going to have setbacks in places like Florida with the don't say gay bill. Uh, Sure, we're going to have it with transgendered rights. Right. It's going to get there because of what Ryan said. You know, we are very politically involved. Um, Our education levels are the highest they've ever been. Uh, You know, how many people are going to college? How many people have graduated high school? It's a lot. It's a lot. A lot of people are being exposed to a bunch of different um, perspectives through the Internet. Um, It can definitely tunnel you down one perspective. um, But it seems like with the introduction of TikTok, uh, it's definitely pushing just different perspectives uh, upon you. And I think people are starting to think more critically about things and uh, what they think um i feel like they're being woken up to a lot of different uh kind of and different kinds of people uh and perspectives across the world um and across our country because of how expansive the internet is um and how and uh because of how easy it is to just connect with people and actually meet people um sure we have these hate groups right but we've always had hate groups there have always been hate groups and they've been much worse in the world they've been much worse i mean you know look at look, look at the kkk the KKK was a horrible, horrible hate group that literally killed people. You know, we have people killing people, but at least not to the same extent and not for the same reasons. And I, I, it's it, it, the world is a crazy place. It always has been. Um, it always will be. What we can do is just, you know, try to help out those people that uh, we think are the weakest chain, uh, you know, donate to those kind of Democratic candidates that are in the rural states, um, give money to those campaigns because they need it because they don't want to take it from the big companies and we don't want them to take it from the big companies. Nobody wants that. Everybody wants, you know, they want support from the ground up from the individual because that's what it is to be an American. It's to be an individual, not to be a part of this kind of cog in a machine type of system. It's to have your own voice and be able to do something with it and not have somebody else take that away from you. And uh, to do that, we have to all be on the same base level and our base level right now, it's moving forward at a slow pace, I might add. But I think, I think it's going to ramp up. I think it is.
1: I sure look forward to seeing you on the ballot, Sean. I'll contribute to your campaign when you run. <laughs>
2: Maybe,
1: but- well, thank you very much, both of you. I appreciate your time. And I'm speaking from my generation. We're very grateful that you're picking up the torch and that you're going to Save us. Save us and take us to the next level.
0: <laughs> All right. Welcome back. You are listening to Full Circle right here on KPFA Radio, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. I am your host tonight, Freewell and Franklin. You just heard current first voice apprentice Pamela P speaking with two first time voters. Thank you, Pamela. And we're going to take a short music break. This is Rise Up by the Dirty Youth. We'll be right back on Full Circle. Our next guest is Nicole Gardner. She is the founder of Facing Homelessness in Antioch, and she works tirelessly to serve the unhoused community. She serves weekly meals from her van. She also provides resources in emergency situations. She even helps bring a sense of normalcy to folks living on the streets by having birthday parties, holiday barbecues, and even public memorials. When we lose you know one of our loved ones in the streets um welcome nicole it's good to have you back on kpfa in full circle
4: thank you frank thank you for having me
0: it's always great to have you on the air to talk about your work well let me first thank you for all the things that you do for our family and friends who find themselves on the streets trying to survive i have a lot of friends out there some of them i went to school with and some i met uh, through the work i do like with you in kpfa um, so thank you.
4: Thank you. It's my pleasure, really.
0: And um, well, let's start off with the Antioch city government. Um, recently, the city has passed some rent control protections to help keep people in their homes, so we won't have more unhoused folks on the streets. And they got the executive in being converted into transitional housing through a lease with the the owner. Other than that, though, we really don't have any resources for housing the unhoused folks out here in Antioch. Um, We do have the county Operation Delta Landing, one of the first projects to be completed under Project Home Key Program, which Governor Gavin Newsom announced at the, the site in June 2020. Even though it's in Pittsburgh, a lot of our folks from the streets of Antioch have found a place there. But how do you see the Antioch City Government in what they're doing at this time um to help our unhoused brothers and sisters
4: oh well i must say just like you said with the delta landing project that was um it's that's been a really good program for a lot of our friends out here on the streets um uh one of our ogs kenny i just found out yesterday during outreach uh him and a friend of ours josie they just got their vouchers they've been there for a little over a year but got their vouchers there's a lot of um are folks that went into that program that are really doing well and got vouchers and are looking for housing or have already gotten housing so that's great um, I do think the city of Antioch, do, they need to step up a little bit more, though. We have so many people that are on our streets that we see every single day that are begging, begging to get off of the streets. I mean, we know that there's a lack of housing, so not everyone is going to get housed and as fast as we want them to get housed. But even if it's, like I said, managed encampments, um, parking lot programs, things like that, I think the city, we've been um, advocating for that for a while, and I think the city definitely needs to step up to do more. For people that are literally um, on the streets.
0: Yeah, we just had these um, terrible storms. And, you know, someone that's lived out here all my life, there's not a lot of places to go under to sh- seek shelter, mm-hmm. especially some like the Amtrak station, which the city destroyed, um, particularly so people will not gather um, as a shelter. Well, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's important that we talked about earlier uh, before we started recording is the treatment. Of our unhoused brothers and sisters by the Antioch Police Department. In particular, we have a liaison that serves the unhoused community, Officer Linderman. This has been a problem point not only for the unhoused residents but for folks like you that serve the community and hears these stories. Um, Talk about what you see and hear from the streets about the way the police in general handle and treat our unhoused brothers and sisters but also the man charged with being the liaison officer Linderman who myself have heard um, terrible stories about so um, yeah the police in general and then officer Linderman in particular
4: number one I must say that after all these years I realized recently that you know a lot of these a lot of these things that are happening, Um, have been told to city staff and to people on the top, like the chief, the city managers, mayor, city council. Everyone knows about this engagement team, knows about Linderman, and how officers have, how unhoused people, advocates, and community members have said they've been, unhoused people have been treated by APD. Um, I think definitely Antioch, the city of Antioch, definitely criminalizes homelessness. They do it by having the signs that they have up, threatening to fine people for wanting to give to the poor. They have signs that are downtown that threaten people with fines for having their belongings outside. They're giving people 24 hour notices every other day, which is super exhausting for folks and um, mentally ex- exhausting for folks that are living on the streets. So, you know, um, I definitely think that um, with Lind- with the APD in general, a lot of the time I hear the, the worst of the worst is, just, is about Linderman. And this is almost every single outreach. I had one guy tell me that he's the only officer that makes him want to jump in front of a train. Um, He's threatened to tase people. He is mentally uh, exhausting people. He does not go out there with resources to help people. He makes their lives harder than what it actually is. And like I said, I think all of this comes from the top. I think that um, a lot of people hide behind in the background um, even knowing all of the things that advocates have said that he's done and homeless people have said that he's done and they hide behind the background because they need somebody that is not compassionate, just like he is, to go into these encampments to dismantle everything, everyone's lives and all everything that they have, all of their belongings. And they need somebody tough that has tough skin to do that. So, you know, while we're sitting here advocating for these things, wondering why nothing is getting done, I just came to the conclusion that that's exactly why nothing is getting done.
0: And do you see any advocacy that we as citizens, as people that care about the um, the folks on the streets and realizing that there is an issue with um, housing, a societal issue in general, not just Antioch or even the surrounding areas, but nationwide? Um, is there anything that you see or you want to for foretake to try to convince the city to remove Officer Linderman from this particular duty? If he wants to be a police officer, you could... Let him go out and be a police officer Um, but dealing with the um, unhoused community with no compassion um, it feels like we need something different do you think we can get him out or do you have any ideas or plans that in the future of trying to get him removed
4: about a year or so ago we i did go in and fill out a couple of complaints for a couple of unhoused folks that were um, saying that they just couldn't take him anymore. And when I went in to go um, speak with the sergeant about those issues, or about those complaints, the way that I was treated, um, it was like intimidation. And I And I said that to the officer, I feel like you're trying to intimidate me. I'm not easily intimidated, but I felt like I was being intimidated. So it is hard for, I believe, unhoused people to go in and try to even make a complaint when these things are happening. Um, I think um, we need to make a safer environment for folks to be able to um, make those complaints, have those complaints taken seriously. I think APD, with all that that's going on with them right now, they really need to step up, be transparent, <clears throat> hold these officers accountable when there are people that are coming in and, and, um, and complaining about that. I think community awareness is definitely important. So we did start a petition against uh, Lenderman. I think it was almost a year or so ago. So we just picked that back up. We put that back on our social media platform. We have over 500 signatures um, on that platform. And just recently, we have a petition that we have on the bus, letting people know, you know, there is a petition so that we can get unhoused people to speak for themselves, sign the petitions, and then um, hopefully go from there, bring it to the chief, bring it to the city manager and whoever we need to to try to get this man out of there because he's just not, he's not it. And he, um, we need... Antioch needs to do better.
0: And then real quick, I just want to ask about a controversy that happened uh, during the election. Um, you worked hard out there to give the unhoused community some sort of voice in our politics, in our city government, because although they may not have a residence, they still have a right to choose their elected officials. And what you did was work to register people to vote. Um, in the area where you do your service and um, give people hot meals downtown Antioch and what happened was it was a really close election and we're going to be speaking with Tamisha during this show tonight and it was a really close election and Tamisha was out in front um, by a few votes and there was calls of ballot harvesting and um, rigging the election with the the unhoused community to all vote for Tamisha Walker and how can they have an address? Um, can you just address what it was like to hear that and um, how important you feel it is to get um, to make it possible, you know, by bringing out the registration forms, explain to people how to do this, um, how important that is to let them have a voice in the people that are making the policies around homelessness in antioch
4: yeah definitely so i'm so excited about this because this is one thing that we actually this is a program that we've ad- adopted since even since the election just like we're doing this year-round registering folks to vote because it's so important we have been the voices for the um for the voiceless basically the homeless on our streets for years and i found that it was time um to give them a voice and like you know a lot of these policies that our local officials, they adopt or don't adopt. its It affects them in every way, whether it's housing, whether it's what we're talking about now, which is uh, in um, having managed encampments, all that stuff. And And no, we did not. We did not say, go out there and vote for this person, go out there and vote for that person. I had my own preferences. I had my sweaters, all that. But when we did our nonprofit business with Facing Homelessness, the point of the matter was just to give people a voice and say, register to vote. We didn't have ballots. There were no addresses for ballots to be dropped off at. So that was ridiculous, right there. I, I never understood that. Um, again, we just registered for people to vote, and that was and that was the end of it. And people were really upset about that. which shocked me, but for some for some groups, not so much. But yeah, it was ridiculous. Definitely.
0: Well, well, I thank you for doing that, and you know, getting people the ability to use their voice, um, their vote as their voice. And we're running out of time here, but real quick before I go to my last question, how can people follow you or um, see what you're up to? Or if they have like supplies to donate, Um, talk about some of the supplies you might even need and um, how people can um, reach you to make a donation of supplies to help the unhoused community.
4: Definitely. So, one thing I do want to say is the community has been really great with helping and donating um, supplies, whether it's clothing, toiletries, blankets, um, sleeping bags, tents, all all kinds of stuff. We have. So, um, if you do want to reach out, volunteer, or uh, donate, you can go to our website, Facing Homelessness nine um, two five com. Or um, it, one one important thing I want to say, we have a lot of folks on our streets that are, um, passing away due to drug overdose. So one of the programs that we have is our harm reduction program, where we, um, pass out the Narcan and condom distribution as well. So you can go to our, um, Gmail, which is facing homelessness 925, and you can, whether, you want to meet us when we do our outreach and pick up a, a Narcan kit, or if you want to um, have one mailed to you, we can do that as well. That is definitely one of the one of the most important things that um um that we programs that we provide. So other than that, yeah, we appreciate all the love and support that we've been getting in the community, and that's where you can go if you want to reach out.
0: All right, and you could also follow the Facing Homelessness in Antioch Facebook page, correct? Yes. All right. How could I forget about that? That's all right. I'm here to help. And um, we got like one minute left right now. We're sitting here in the park, the city park. There's a lot of our unhoused brothers and sisters that are out here. But we're sitting in your van that you got to help um, service the community. How does it feel to have this um, this great vehicle that could better um, help you help others? Because I know it's been a long time coming. You used to have just a little box van. Now you got a small bus and I could see all kinds of boxes of supplies it's it's loaded up so how does it feel to have this this beautiful vehicle to help you out
4: it is amazing it is such a blessing oh my god i'm so excited about it we just got it maybe about six months ago with the wrap and uh and all that stuff so it's just great to be able to get all the supplies that we need to get out there have our team actually have a table we actually serve our dinner um on the bus put the plates you know make the plates and do everything for our team members so and they've been great but it is just um it's beautiful the outside if you haven't seen it we have a memorial in the back of the bus for all our uh, fallen angels that have fallen on the streets and have you know have uh, passed away on the streets and it it's just it's really a blessing I'm so I'm just so thankful
0: Alright, Nicole Gardner, Facing Homelessness in Antioch, thank you so much for, again, all the work that you're doing um, to help out our folks on the streets and for um, spending time with us tonight on Full Circle.
5: Thank you. I have a voice Started out as a whisper Turned into a scream Made a beautiful noise Shoulder to shoulder Marching in the street When you're all alone it's a quiet break But when you band together It's a choir of thunder and rain Now we have a choice Cause I have a voice I'm not I'm living to die Don't stand in a wasteland look at me In the eyes Stop living a lie And stand up next to me You gotta put one foot From the other with a hand in a hand Holding on to each other the ones who aren't yet really free it's killing me no one is saying what we need to hear I will not let silence win now when I see all the pain our people are in there's no other choice
0: Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA and KPFA.org. You just heard a beautiful noise. Every vote counts by Alicia Keys and Brandy Carlisle. And before that, we heard from Nicole Gardner, the founder of Facing Homelessness in Antioch. Just a reminder: we will post all Nicole's contact information, our music breaks and our reference materials like articles and reports on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show tonight. Now to close out the show, we will hear from Antioch City Councilwoman District 1 Representative Tamisha Torres-Walker. She was recently reelected in a close race out here in Antioch, which led to a county audit of the ballots and then a recount by her opponent. And just for full disclosure, I am a District 1 resident in Antioch and I did help out on Tabisha's campaign. But let's check out this interview I did with her about the recent victory and the recount. All right, Free Will and Franklin back here on Full Circle 94.1 FM KPFA. And I'm now being joined by recently reelected Antioch District 1 Representative on the city council, Tamisha Torres-Walker, uh, my district, I'm district one, and I'm very excited to have her back. Um, first off, Tamisha, just congratulations on um, winning and being the district uh, representative again.
6: Thank you, Frank, I'm super excited about it. I am, I am, I, you know, I had, you know, people kept asking me, you gonna run for re-election? You gonna run for re-election? And I was like, nope, nope, I'm not, I'm not, um, or I don't know, and, it just became very clear, you know, early on last year that I, I was going to make the decision to go ahead and run for reelection. And so I'm super excited for this four year journey.
0: I'm excited for you. I'm so glad. And um, I really want to talk about, you know, the process that we just went through here in Antioch and also Richmond and, and of course other places around the um, the state and the nation. And that was that we had a really close election here in District one. And it was just three votes that you won by and your opponent's um, team, Joy Mott's team, um, elected to do a recount of the votes. And um, well, first off, just give me your thoughts on a recount happening and, you know, what it meant to you after winning um, that a recount was coming.
6: You know, I didn't understand what it was initially because we went through an audit as well. So if a lot of people don't know, election night, I was in third. And then as the numbers started to roll in, moved up to second, and then quickly to first, and then um a tide with Joy Mott. And then when the last numbers came in, I won re-election by three votes. And so... You know the biggest challenge is that you know people either don't sign the envelope or they you know they forget to sign the envelope or their signature don't match so you get to cure ballots and let people know like hey get your vote counted and so what really got to that three votes was knocking on the doors of voters in Antioch in district one just saying like take you know stepping out on a limb and saying did you vote for me and people saying yeah absolutely and me saying well I need you to Cure your vote. Your 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 vote isn't going to be counted if you don't do it. And it was an exciting process to still be on the campaign trail even after Election Day. Um, And that's what got us to the three votes, just going out there back into the community and saying, I need your help to win. And then they hear that, like, when it was three votes, that the county was going to do an audit because they were like it was too close and they wanted to make sure and we we were there for a full day during an audit where they counted every vote and that's when they confirmed I won that I that I won by three votes and we all went home excited, you know, thinking, you know, it's over, you know, what's the plan for the next 4 years uh, or even really less rest for the holidays. And then next thing you know, I get a letter in the mail saying that um the opponent that I beat out by three votes. One of the recount, it was pretty disappointing.
0: All right. Well, let's unpack just a couple of the things because um, you cured a vote. For people that don't know the process, um, just reiterate what happened because I guess people didn't sign or it was maybe marked funny, but you had the opportunity to ask that person and they said that, yes, I did vote and it then counted.
6: Yeah, so you know, a lot of people don't know that sometimes your signature at the DMV don't match the signature you put on when you sign your mail-in ballot or some people forget to sign the mail-in ballot altogether and so the county have a process if you request it they'll give you the names of the people who need to cure their vote which really is just saying hey we need. We want to alert you that if you want your vote to be counted, which your vote is your voice, you need to come in and either add a signature. You need fill out the paper we sent you in the mail, add a signature to your ballot, or sign it so that we can match the signature up so your vote can be counted. And so they had mailed letters out to residents, letting them know that they vote needed to be cured. But some people. Just didn't send the letter back. So fortunately you could get the list of the voter. Now they don't tell you who the voter voted for. So you're going out on a limb. And so you just go to each address and knock on the door and you say, Hey, did you know, I mostly just introduced myself and asked the voter if they voted for me. And if they said yes they did, I alerted them that, you know, they needed to cure their ballot. Their signature didn't match or they missed the signature. And I had the form right there. And, you know, ask them, would they trust me to walk the form in for them? And they say, yeah. And they signed it. And there there you have it.
0: All right. So you got to go out and cure the ballots. And then that put you ahead by three. And then something else you mentioned was the audit. So this was not the uh, recount by the opponent. This was just what the county did in a close case.
6: When they saw that the race was close, cause they knew that uh, they knew I won by three votes before the public knew, even before myself and Joy Moss knew. Our county election officials, like that, they, they did a great job. They wanted to make sure, so they did an audit on the Richmond race and the um, Antioch race, and that at the end of them, looked counting every vote they came and showed us what they did and they said that I won by 3 votes and we were excited and that is how the um the audit went i felt like it was okay cuz they didn't want to put something out there that they weren't totally clear on they wanted to make sure that they dotted all the i's and crossed all the t's so cuz cuz it was weeks before christmas <laughs> you know it's like people want to you know be with their families that was a you know a big win for us and you know we thought we were going to be able to celebrate but then maybe maybe a week or two later it was kind of like hey I get this letter in the mail saying that it's a recount was requested by Alan Payton um, the editor editor of the Antioch Herald on the behalf of um, Joy Mott's campaign for election and so then we were off and running the fundraise for legal support because I'm not a elections attorney and I don't understand how this go. And so then it was pretty interesting because now we're going into a recount and I had never done that before.
0: Well, let's talk about that because somebody had the privilege of being able to do a recount. So um, I got a little bit involved. I wasn't totally involved, but I got to see some of the process. And it turns out that the, the recount, if you want to do it, especially after they feel like they've done an audit already, your campaign has to pay for that. Um, can you tell us about how much the, um, the the campaign of Joy Motts had to spend on a recount?
6: I'm not sure how much. Um, I mean, I don't think the finances are financial reports are out there to be requested yet to know how much money she actually raised to support the recount or even who contributed to the recount, which should be all public record pretty soon. But because um, Andrew Butt and caesar Zapata and richmond were also in the same you know challenge they had is that that was challenged too but that's because of a you know a draw they were tied and andrew buck committed to a tiebreaker and caesar Zapata won the tiebreaker and um you know they were like no they wanted to challenge it and and do a recount to be able to challenge votes and so we all kind of find ourselves in the same position but the biggest thing is that like if the MOTS campaign on their own would have had to pay for a recount it could have been upwards to from what I understand anywhere between 20 and 60 to 70 thousand dollars because you 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 pay for the full recount which could be upwards to almost 40,000 but then also legal fees for a um, elections attorney, which could be also upwards to thirty, you know, twenty to thirty thousand. Some some are generous, ten thousand. So it could be a major a major cost. But because the Mott's campaign and the buzz campaign came together and requested the recounts, they got to split the cost of the recount. I'm not sure if they got to split the cost of the legal fees. Um, but again, we'll know all of that when you know when that becomes public record.
0: Well, let me interject here, because on the campaign page of Joy Mots, they were saying that they wanted to raise about thirty eight thousand dollars. Well, this brings me to my question about, you know, privilege of being able to afford that. If you were just a couple votes short, you know, these guys were teaming up with bots um, or butts and they had I combined Mots and butts. Um they teamed up with um, Butts, who are very wealthy individuals, and out here we had, as you mentioned, the um, the Antioch Herald and other um, local business folks that were helping raise that money. But when it comes down to a grassroots campaign such as yours, do you think you would be able to afford that, or how would you go about if you felt you were just one vote short and wanted a recount? Does that seem like there's a problem with our, our procedures, or...?
6: Absolutely. I mean, look at Caesar Zepeda. Like he wasn't prepared for that. Like prepared for the legal fees that it would take to fight something like that. And I definitely was not prepared. We we both pretty much had to start fundraising again. And you know, my campaign was a grassroots campaign to start with, and so was his. And so normally, if you a grass grassroots candidate, you're not raising any more than you really need to win your campaign. Like, you know, and so we were all all expensed out. And so we needed to open back up the books and start fundraising again, just for legal support. And so, and we weren't even the ones that requested the recount and we still had to fundraise to have- So you
0: had to be able to defend yourself and have someone that's knowledgeable of the laws.
6: Absolutely, absolutely. And so- You know, I think, you know, had a lot of people say, well, if you would have lost, would you have requested a recount? And my thinking was like, you know, my opinion, whether you lose by one vote, two or three, you lost. And, you know... I, you know, I like to believe I would have took it on the chin and just went back to continuing to do the work in the community that I've all, that I've done for over 14 years across Contra Costa and in other places and still would have committed to Antioch as a resident. So I, I couldn't really say whether I would have. And then the question is, well, would cost have been an issue? Absolutely cost would have been an issue because I wasn't even prepared to raise money for legal fees. And so... I think the argument is that, you know, there should be an automatic recount. um, People are saying that this
0: is that what the audit was, you felt like?
6: Absolutely. I mean, I talked to somebody at the um, elections office and I said, well, this feels very much like the audit (laughs) that we went through. And they said, well, it is. The only difference is that with the audit, we couldn't contest the ballots like we couldn't. We couldn't, you know, say we wanted to challenge a ballot and then have it pulled and then deliberate over it and have a vote thrown out or kept in. With the audit, you just watch them count and then they give you the result. With a recount, it's an audit on steroids and it costs you money, right, (laughs) which is a big difference. The thing for me is that, you know, i often say just because something is available to you, just because you have a tool, just because something exists, should you use it? My biggest challenge with the recount isn't necessarily the cost. It's the idea that you could disqualify a vote. A vote is somebody's voice. And so to be a part of watching a process where people could step up in your absence and say that your vote shouldn't count is pretty disturbing.
0: I agree. I agree. Well, we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to give you a chance to um, give us some of the, um, the big moments that you felt like you were very proud of because you just did three years and you're reelected by the same community, whether it was close or not, you're, you're our person. Um, But what were some of the things that you accomplished um, over the past three years that you were really proud of?
6: Well, it felt like three years, but it was only two.
0: (laughs) My mistake, my mistake.
6: (laughs) We marched in the streets for the first year, then got elected and, you know, led for two years. But I think You know, what I'm most excited about, a couple things, the establishment of the Department of Public Safety and Community Resources. I'm really excited about that department to be more public-facing, but also to reimagine public safety and what it looks like to protect our residents and help increase quality of life in the city. So I'm excited about that. Really excited, too, about the establishment of a police civilian oversight body, which the applications are open now online. please. Frank, everybody apply. Um, If you are an Antioch resident and want to have, you know, some, you know, accountability for, you know, public accountability for what's going on in our police department, I think is very important. So I'm excited about that. I believe both of those are historic for Antioch, as well as being just really excited as well about addressing issues related to violence in our community and specifically gun violence which I've been fighting for since I moved to this city over nine years ago. Because you can tell when it's, when something is trending up and gun violence has been for a while in Antioch. And so bringing $1.8 million of California Violence Prevention Act funds to Antioch to address gun violence and also working with the district, attorney, district attorney's office who has also been championing funds to address gun violence across the county, but specifically in Antioch as well. I'm really excited to see how we do that from a community-based lens. And so it's not law enforcement heavy, although you do need the hammer and the nail sometimes. You know, you need the hammer sometimes, and sometimes you also need resources. And so it's a carrot and a stick, but it's community-led, community-driven, And for the most part, it's effective in some cities. And so I'm excited for that to roll out effectively and see what happens. And those those are just the highlights. I mean, I've done in two years with most council people, you know, probably take them. Two, three terms to do. Um, And now I just want to sit back over this next four years and be a part of the full implementation of these things.
0: All right. Well, let me just ask you one more question, because. Out here, we have the investigation of our police going on and we've had a, um, I don't want to say Rocky, but there's been a bumpy relationship with, um, some of the police out here and the community. Well, a lot of them seem to think that you have a hatred for the police and that, um, you don't like the police. And I get the same thing, but what we really want is accountability and police that are compassionate and care. Um, we don't want the bad guys and, um, we have got a new police chief, Chief Ford, um, Dr. Stephen Ford, who is, um, you know, I've got some hopes in, you know, it's my first time really having hopes in a chief. So we'll see what happens. But can you describe your relationship with the chief and um, our police department as you see it and how things are going between you and uh, Dr. Ford, Chief Ford?
6: Yeah, I, I mean, I think Dr. Ford is is um a good thing that happened to Antioch. I think having a a, a chief over you know one of our most public facing departments in the city, who understands community policing strategies, um is so important. So you know we we have a good relationship. I think we got off at a good start. You know, it's always going to be a work in progress with you know. I I think between my relationship and the police department's relationship, because I'm going to continue to make decisions that affect the police department. Um, and I'm hoping that it's in a good way and affect so the community can build trust and transparency. That's really what it's about for me. Um, justice reinvestment is important and, you know, putting money back into the community to really address the root cause of, um, you know, harm and violence is super important. Public safety is not just about policing. It's about all those other things that could increase or decrease or disrupt our quality of life. And so I hope we can move forward and, uh, you know, with Chief Ford and build a a healthier relationship with our police department here in Antioch. But I'm going to stay critical. I'm going to stay active. And I want the public to know that they – they can definitely trust me to always be honest.
0: All right. Uh, that's the voice of City Councilwoman District 1 in Antioch, Tamisha Torres-Walker, fresh off her re-election and her recount victory getting ready to do four more years here in Antioch. And um, I'll just say for me, I appreciate you and the work that you've done. And I'm glad that you were reelected back. So um, thank you for that and the work. And thank you for taking the time to step out of your day job. And before you get home tonight, um, it's 7, almost 8 o'clock Thursday night as we're recording this interview. So I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, again, congratulations on your victory.
6: Thank you, Frank. And thank you for your vote.
0: And that does bring us to the end of tonight's show. Remember, check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show for some pictures, archive shows, and important links and information related to tonight's show. And we'll post links to the music we featured tonight as well. Big shout out to Pamela P for her interview with the first-time voters tonight and the Full Circle crew. Miss M is our executive producer and me, Free Will and Franklin. I have been your host tonight, and I'm also the technical director for this show, Full Circle. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, while you're out there, to please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA. Up next is Launda Bajita. Good night, everyone.